What's up all? My name is Anthony. If it's your first time here, welcome. If it's your 76th, let's dive right into it. Henesis Disla is our guest for this one and her journey is one in which she molds it into her own. Uh, early on, she had aspirations of working at Disney Animation Studios, but through some influences of her friends going in a lab tour at Stanford University, it caused her to reassess what field she wanted to be in and what she wanted to pursue. From there, she eventually worked at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City in 2015 onward for about two to three years until discovering a need that many people needed with uh, medical equipment being at their disposal and having it readily available to do drawings from, blood drawings that is. So she went on a journey to venture into entrepreneurship, making arm hug so that many can use medical equipment easily and readily when they need to. So let's dive into this one and go deep into Henesis's journey. Let's do it. I have a dream. That's one small step for man. I am the greatest. You want something? Go get it. Period. Henesis, I really appreciate you um, joining me today joining the people who will be listening. You have a really cool story. We're going to dive into everything, but I really do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So where are you currently, like geographically, just so um, I understand too? Yeah. So because the pandemic, I had to move to New Jersey, but the office is still in New York. So Got I do it. have okay. an office in New York business. Uh, but because I'm here out in Jersey, I'm kind of enjoying the wilderness a little bit. Good. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I would love to start, and maybe you can even say you get some inspiration when in the wilderness for some stuff pertaining to creative work, which is uh, where your journey kind of started when you were in art. Um, I must say, I did look through your Instagram pertaining to art, and it's really good. It's like, it's really, yeah. really amazing. So I, I would love for you to explain and kind of open up uh my eyes more but but people listening as well as to where you started um when you were younger sure sure so i mean you did mention nature so i felt like art was like the natural option for me because so my mother worked in fashion and art was kind of like the next i was kind of the next of kin and that happened in kindergarten of all places, um, the teacher made a comment that I was really observant and I was better than most of the other kids. And I think I was like five years old. So from that point on, it was art every day and like drilling, like what kind of markers you should be using, what kind of materials you should be gravitating towards. You're going to art college, you're going to do art in high school, you're doing art. Like it's so, which was great. I got to explore a lot of that. Um, I think that one of the, the things I started to learn was it felt like I was almost chained to a desk. It felt like, well, is there something else out there? Because this is all I know. And it's mm. great, uh, but it felt very limiting after a while. Um, I never did anything else. And so I started to branch out after college. When I graduated, I said, okay, have my art degree which I was also not going to get because I was so frustrated at that point mm. but um 
that journey took me to California. So I said, I want to work for Disney one day. So here I am ready. I was like, this is what I'm going to do, right? This is what I want to do. And when I walk into an art class, there's like tons of really brilliant artists. Everyone's talking about art. And I'm thinking this is going to be the rest of my life. And I hear someone talk about science. And so I decided, you know what? What what is this radiology that you're talking about? Like she was just really excited about yeah. her science work. And that's how I wanted to feel. Like I was like, oh, I'm so, I'm so interested in this. This is so amazing. I was just and gonna say if started- you if if you were to walk in, sorry about that, but if you were to walk in to an art class, you would think like most people would be excited to do that, but you were you clung to the person who did that, but with their science field. Yeah. Like I wanted that excitement and that like, like when you first kind of meet someone or when you're first starting something, you're like super excited. You don't know yet how many times you need to fail to get to that point. Um, But because I felt like I was doing art because I was told this is what you need to do because this is what you're good at. So it's almost like I flipped the word, like how people see passion, which is, because people are saying, at least I heard from a podcast that, you know, it's whatever you're going to make a profit from. It's not it that there's no, like some people don't want to follow their passion. They just want to follow whatever's going to make money. But then it's like, well, what if that's not your passion? Right. So how do you, how do you keep that motivation? I mean, mm-hmm. that's going to be really hard for you to make money. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there was, so the one occurrence when you did meet the uh, science student uh, in our class was, I know I saw some of your story before you explained it, but was that, that was at Stanford? So she was a student, a science student from Stanford. The art class was, it it was called Animation Collaborative. It's a uh, course that Pixar studio artists actually do. And it's right across the street from the studio. So towards the end of the class, everyone gets excited because they're like, we're going to tour Pixar. Let's go. Um, It's so funny. It's definitely as cheery and happy as you think it is. Um, (laughs) It's it's such a great environment. Like everyone's really um, happy when they're talking to students about art. But when you work day to day, it's pretty monotonous. Like it's like you're just at work. Um, Mm. So you might get tired of the cereal bar and the and all the, the fun <laughs> perks that they give you. But uh, it, it really was an eye-opener, I think, for me. Yeah, well, that's... Well, for one, Pixar is, and, and Disney is, like, some of the best storytellers ever, and that's a huge inspiration to me. Um, I even read... I know, I know you're into books. Um, Creativity, Inc. Yes, I, I was <laughs> rereading that um, the other day, and I was like, this is so good. Like, <laughs> yeah. I so... Think, yeah. Yeah. So like, so you, did you ever get the tour, like where they work there? Yeah. So I got to see some things, unfortunately, some things like like close curtains where like Mm. they have signs where you can't pass or they might have the actors um, talking or on screen. Like the artists and the actors are in two different departments. So they're pretty segregated. You might see somebody famous and be like, oh, that's cool. But (laughs) nobody really like runs up to them and get, can I get your autograph kind of thing? Um, because mm. that's just the film industry. Yeah. But so as for the book though, um, cause I think the whole experience of actually being there in person is incredible. Like what is one thing 
you took away from Pixar itself? Because um, there's a reason I'm focusing so much on Pixar for a second until we um, proceed into the latter stages of your journey. But like, what is one thing you took away that they do so well? And then being there in person, maybe just like in- enforcing that a little bit. Yeah. So uh, one thing I like about them is the culture. I, I think mm-hmm. the, the the creativity culture is amazing. I, I think there's something there that uh, tech and all the other industries have yet to kind of, um, I don't know, like they, they, they kind of gravitate towards very instinctive approaches. Like, okay, something's not working here. We need to stop. And they will. And then they'll all come together and say, okay, so this is our responsibility too. So we want to know what's going on. And then we want to help out. It's very mm-hmm. collaborative. Um, I think there's a hierarchy in like tech places where in creativity place, like in places where it's just like booming with creativity, everybody's just kind of like having fun. And that's kind of like what they're trying to, like their energy, they're trying to emote that to everybody. Like, let's just have fun with this. Mm. Yeah, and, and I know they're trying to create a lot of uh, like decentralized type workspaces and environments. I know that can't be the case as for 2020 because everyone's remote. Um, but I know for a long time, the big tech platforms and tech companies were trying to create, yeah, like you said, like fun environments, like slides and like any accommodations necessary um, to enhance the like spontaneity that might occur or, or so people could run into each other and be more collaborative. But it seems like there's so much to learn from Pixar and that they got something right. Cause it is, it is tech and art combined. Like Steve jobs was a co-founder of Pixar for a reason. Yeah. So Steve Jobs was one of the early investors. Yeah. So I yeah. mean, and it, it's even exactly. one of the things where he had his name on the door, like the name played on the door and you're walking in here and you're like, what is going on? <laughs> um, so it is a lot to take in, but it's really I mean, I would just love to be there just to observe people and just ask mm-hmm. them, so so what do you, what is your day like today? You know, because I think what they do is they they constantly, they work like films do. They would work on something for a long period of time and then they would say, okay, but along the way, there's going to be things that we're going to be blindsided by. Mm-hmm. And we need to have a brain trust, right? If you read Creativity Inc., there's this brain trust where we're kind of giving each other honest feedback. And it's like, this is not against your work. This is this is just what we're seeing. And we want you to be able to create your vision your way, so. Mm, exactly. Uh, I, uh, I wanted to ask one point too of why, like, why are you so observant? Like, I know that's might be a tough question to ask because sometimes it's just like a quality we have, but I find that in myself a little bit, but I'm curious because that creates, um, a really great self-aware person, a really great entrepreneur because self-awareness is key to that. Like, where do you think you, you got some of that observance from? Yeah. Besides being a people watcher on the subway, right. <laughs> <laughs> and like drawing people. Yeah, I need well, to know their oh, you drew people on the subway. Yeah. So those wow. are things you would do, you know, you go and draw at, um, let's say you're I going see. to the park one day, you bring your sketchbook uh, one of the things they ask animators do, what we do is we, because um, we study animation, so just like a little background on that, it's just basically that we're creating life. And that could be in a box, in a cup, 
we have to we have to give something life so we have to learn how to observe people and then think what is their body posture telling me what is their um, maybe the way they're dressed what is that telling me about a little bit about their personality we're making assumptions so uh sometimes we have to pull back and say and maybe ask someone else like what do you see maybe i'm seeing something different but most of it is assumptions because we stereotype a lot <laughs> yeah yeah that makes sense i mean you kind of you kind of have to to create your own character or world character. um yeah so but then at that point um and going back on track to like the bigger picture of your life you were deciphering between passion and profit um right. and like doing something you really enjoyed and you felt the lack of that like how did you go about um refinding that and rekindling that yeah. So I decided after my little trip from California, went home and I wanted to work on something that I would do for free. So I was like, I'm going to volunteer somewhere. So I started volunteering at different community groups and the hospital was one of them. And I started there and people were so nice. They were like, okay, you're going to be our volunteer. And they gave me like a really small role. Um, I was doing something administrative, but I really loved it because the, the patients. So I started hearing stories about the patients and who they were and, and why they were here. And then I was like, oh, this is so interesting. Maybe I'm just curious, right? So then I was um, selected to go to another department where I was learning more science-based research. And then because I love to read, I just started reading about the research. And now I started connecting. Mm -hmm. Well, now there's a person I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about this research. So it started becoming more personal. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like I started gravitating toward this thing where it's like, oh, I can help someone. And, you know, that gives me a purpose. Like, oh, this is interesting. It's not just, you know, I'm, I don't know, like I'm not in this closed vacuum space anymore where it's just me and, and the artwork. Mm. yeah so it's like a combination of you went outside yourself a little bit um to be of service to other people um but also you like you led with curiosity but I also think it's a great point especially for listeners too like to learn is to attach something of meaning to what you're trying to learn like for me I'm trying to learn Spanish really difficult but the one method in which this one individual Gabrielle Weiner uses uh, who has this app I'm using that he created just a genius with learning languages is he attaches like a very specific image to the word that has subjective meaning to me. So that helps me foster a deeper connection to it. So for you though, like how did you decide to volunteer at um, Mount Sinai hospital? Yeah. So yeah. starting at Mount Sinai hospital, I Googled, hospitals that were looking for volunteers and then I literally just started calling people nice um I sent some emails you know sometimes it just that doesn't go anywhere um I was like no I need to do this like I need to try this like give me a shot um and someone returned the email maybe two weeks later and then I went got a picture they made it really formal like they have an interview process mm. training um it's definitely something like if you you really enjoy just uh, helping people or maybe you want to learn more about science. 
maybe because I was just kind of putting my toes in the water like I want to learn more about this industry Mm. Um, it's a great way of just like seeing even what departments there are there's so many different departments in science Mm. yeah 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 it's as simple as that though which is crazy you just were curious and then you loved reading so you kind of scratch that scratch that itch um what was a particular experience within the hospital that kind of led you further down this road you wanted to be on and maybe it wasn't one specific thing if you can recall because i know hospitals they have very um there can be some very like heartfelt stories of like connections with people but like what what was the continual process from there you can continue to hold our hand and guide us down your journey. <laughs> yeah. So I think for me, it was, um, there was always something new to learn. Uh, and I think that's kind of one of the things I gravitated towards. Um, I was around really accomplished doctors, you know, like they're, they work at a hospital, they, they have to have had so many years of training and and they've been doing these things for so many years. And I sometimes would walk in their office and I would see all of this, just like whether it was awards or just like things they've invented or um, people that they were talking to, they let me shadow a lot of the visits. So I got to even meet some of these patients personally and like just have just a short chat about like what it is that they were going through and how they would take, how they were taken care of. So I think that, um, answer your question about like what kind of memories I think those are most those are the the I think the one that made the shift for me was probably when I went to an operation room for the first time and I actually had to wear scrubs like if I was um, a trainee and just kind of playing this role and I think it was only for an hour and he was in there for like eight hours or they have sometimes eight to twelve hour procedures you know Mm. standing up they play their music and they just like it's any other day they're just gonna about to start surgery and I was just sitting just standing in the background and it it was like so inspiring to see that people this is what they do and and wearing but I I was felt like one of them and the fact that they were willing to kind of like introduce me into their world like that it just felt so easy to just Mm. Like, it's like, oh, I can stay here forever because I. Yeah. I yeah. Did, oh, I see. So it was like a they created a welcoming environment for you to learn. Was it was <laughs> it like that with. Uh, well, I'm sure animation might have been. Was there parts of it like that or no? Yes. So animation provides the like th- that learning experience because we all have to like learn how to make worlds and create worlds. Mm. The difference for me was I it was competitive. And, Mm. and, you know, in art school, it's very much like you're kind of on your own and your art has to speak for itself. And if you're chosen, you're, you're chosen. Mm. You're like, there might be one of us out of our class who actually becomes a director for a large animation studio, which there is one and she's doing it. So I'm so happy for (laughs) her. But um, I think that that what for me, I couldn't, I just didn't feel like I fit in too well with that. But it might worked out for some people. Mm. Yeah. No. So yeah, you found, you found more of what you enjoyed, which makes sense now because um, being in a competitive nature, you have your own product, you know, you have your own brand and company. Um, I would love for you to continue. Cause I like how we're going down this path, like continue with 
when you're on Mount Sinai volunteering, learning, and then how you got to Arm Hug? Yeah. So um, after a few years of volunteering, I think it's the two years, I was hired as a research coordinator for multiple sclerosis clinic. And basically my job was to do obviously a lot of reading and emails and meet with patients. While meeting with patients, I had to draw their blood. So I also had to get training and which I also loved because I was like, oh, I'm getting training now. I've got a certificate, you know, to draw blood. Like who, <laughs> who knows, this might come useful. And so I started to learn that I felt like as a beginner, it was really hard to learn that. And it seemed like such a simple procedure just because the clinic was small and we had high volume patients and they all needed to be taken care of. So I developed like this kit which is like a box to carry the supplies for me, have it prepared so that when I sit down with my patient, I can just open and get started. Right now, there's a supply chain issue with that because logistically, when you order supplies, they come in different boxes. Um, so we are trying to reduce that because it's, it's, it can be a real headache. Um, and then we're also trying to help with sustainability. So it's like, if you need more supplies, we can, we're a subscription model. So you can come back to us. And we also, the storage unit is a one-time buy. So you don't have to keep purchasing these new units just so that you can carry your stuff. Mm. Wow. It's like a stitch fix type uh, d- delivery. It, yeah. It'll seem, it's like a seamless, we're trying to make it as seamless <laughs> as possible. Yeah, I can see that. That makes a lot of sense. And it was a problem you had that you just made a a solution for. Yeah. So, I mean, it's exciting because now we get calls from people that need it. And, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, I I can make another one. Yeah. You know, so now I really have to think about making more of them and in large volumes. And so Mm -hmm. I'm talking to partners now and just um, debating like, you know, what, what is the best material to make it from? So, I mean, it's a good problem, but it's, uh, it's fun and it's exciting that people are, they want to try, they want a solution. It's, it's so, it's so good to hear that. Yeah. So you, you started obviously somewhat local. Did you start giving, well, well, there's two questions I want to ask. I think first would make sense. I want to ask a question about scale. That's what I was going to lead to, but, um, how did you iterate upon the arm hug product initially? Yeah. Like, did you start within Mount Sinai? Just like, Hey, this will be used for you guys. Or what did you do to like make it better? Sure. So I started sketching. So I went back to my art, right? My, there we go. Let's go. My art world. And I was like, this is crazy. I need to start sketching. So this is, I mean, come on, there's gotta be a better way of doing this. Right. Um, and so I started to make drawings. And I went home and then I bought some foam board at Staples and I built it. And then I went to the director of the clinic and I said, hey, so I wanted to know if I could use this on patients. You know, this is just a kit that I'm thinking about um, making. And they had told me that I had to like have discussions obviously with the facility about anything that I would be making and, and putting it anywhere near patients for safety reasons. And so Mount Sinai said they were interested. They were interested in learning more about this. And so they had um, decided that they would file the patent for it. So they started that process. 
Yeah, because they were like, this is interesting. And so, um, yeah, so after the drawings and then the talking, I decided that with Malthine, obviously we would move forward. Um, and that process took a while. It takes about a year or two just to have paperwork through and before it gets out of out into the world because for legal reasons, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. So then you, well, that's, I didn't even know that, that they'd file the patent for you. That's like a huge burden lifted off your shoulders. Um, they started so the you, yeah, they started the process. So from there, and then you're at the point of like basically trying to scale it out now and make it better uh, or not make it better, but like make it more um, largely uh, accessible to many. Um how are you like, how are you going about solving that problem? Yeah. Because these are really important problems that you're working through as like a, is this a first time founder for you or? It is. So while at, I was at Mount Sinai, there were startups there and I was able to volunteer uh, a little bit and just to like learn like what it was to be a startup founder. Like what, what does that mean? You know, I was also scared of the word entrepreneur. You know, you hear in the media what an entrepreneur is and it's like, that whoa what what you know it's it's really i mean they've exacerbated what is an entrepreneur yeah they also haven't even yeah exactly like i saw something the other day where it's like a landscaper made a hundred thousand in profit like it doesn't have to be this crazy big entrepreneur yeah they're regular people they're just small small business owners um and uh, through now learning with arm hug and speaking with manufacturers a lot of them are small business owners, but they're also family companies. And I was really shocked. I was like, this is actually really cool. Um, They've, they've got like three generations that have been doing it and they, they own their own business. And this is how, this is their life. That's how they, they make their money. They have a roof over their head. They can have food on the table. And I think that that's really inspiring. I was like, you guys, like, that's pretty cool that you guys just, you know, they, it's almost like, they found a way to have a life and, you know, also they have their business and it's like, they're not stressed to like make so much money in revenue or sales. Mm. It seems like a really like, because they can control it. They can control, they don't have to worry about these investors or whatnot. It's like, this is enough. Exactly. And that, that was really inspiring. Yeah. Which is important though, to know like what level of um, accomplishment or like pain you want to incur or like you are like accomplishment you want to achieve but like pain you want to incur exactly and that differs with people like some like having investors and having not full equity but other people want a more controlled environment in life and it's like it seems like for you especially when you got into the science field you did a good job of deciphering what that was for you and like especially now what you want so like I was going to ask what you do want with arm hug yeah, what I what I want with Arm Hug, I mean, I just want to make sure that the customers are going to be happy with it because a mm-hmm. lot of people are like, I, I want to try this now or I, I need this now. And it's like, that's awesome. But I also want to know, like, if in the future, like, where would this go? Like, who, who else is going to need this? Because right now, since the home health market, it's just going to be like home health workers. Are the nurses going to need it? Are the doctors going to think about it? Because nobody's going to want to do labs at, at the clinic anymore. Like diagnostic labs is just, 
people are like, what is that? It's, it's usually a mess. Every time I talk to people about it, they say, oh, I had a bad experience there. Or the mm. line was so long, I just left. Yeah, I can even be one of like your people of feedback saying I've given blood at diagnostic labs before. And it's, um, yeah, there usually are long waiting rooms, long lines, um, especially now. It's even like getting COVID tests. Exactly. Lines are like sometimes three hours long it takes to get one. Um, I can definitely see everyone needing your product. It's just a matter of like Appreciate it. time, timing and when that gets to be, if so, you know exactly so where how many people are you giving it to and like what's your bandwidth with being able to do that right now yeah so right now we're trying to fulfill a contract so we have someone who's interested in 500 units Mm -hmm. and they are looking to have them within this year so it's just looking at how often do we like do we give you 50 units per month do we some things that I'm learning about supply chain planning is that uh, the business, uh, like it's uh, some months it could be like a huge demand for arm hug and some months maybe a little bit less. So there's an ebb and flow. And um, so basically for us right now, it's more to focus on like, what's our production schedule going to look like? You know, what, what kind of inventory should we have? Like how well prepared can we think about like what's what's coming because let's say we do sell those 500 units way before what we were thinking you know can we take that the capital that the sales that we're going to make and then be able to make more should we start thinking about a second product not that i'm jumping the gun here but Mm. a lot of people were saying what about a bag to put our kit in you know sometimes because the kit allows you to put blood vials in it it needs to be temperature controlled at times, like if it's like sitting in a hot car. So people were saying like, what about a bag so that you can put like a ice pack in it just to keep it at a specific temperature while they're in transportation. Wow. That's like all really good feedback you're getting from people. Yeah. So I, I, um, I, <laughs> Instagram is amazing. <laughs> they, uh, they're really honest. Like if you ever want to ask them, who are your suppliers? Um, where are you getting all of your stuff from? Uh, who would you recommend as a company to, to look for more for resources that you need in this industry? They're really open about it. Mm-hmm. Just because we're in this industry together, like we're in the people industry. So it's like, you know, I want to help you, you help me. So Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And what are your, this is like a, a side question. What were, what are your favorite books to learn about entrepreneurship uh from or like books that helped be help you become a better entrepreneur since you're only like what a couple years in right yeah so it's been a year and a half wow um books that have helped me with entrepreneurship i feel like what's really helped me were the accelerators um oh you joined accelerators yeah so i I would go on this, like, it's weird. Um, Basically, I would take time out to just apply to accelerators. And I know the accelerators are probably like three to six months. And I would apply to like 50 or 100 of them. And then I would get accepted to like two, you know, and then I would choose like, which one, which one should I do? And some of them ask you for large fees. And if I can't do that, then I take the one that doesn't 
um, ask for those fees. But that's where I've learned a lot because uh, I learn a lot from other founders who are in the same, who have the same problem or who probably have a problem I will have. <laughs> and it's real time. So it's like, whatever is happening now, I was like, oh, I'm going to have that problem too. So wait a second. How did you resolve that? Um, but books, I feel like I don't really know. It's a good point. No, that's a, it's a really good point, actually. It's uh, more efficient as well. Because it seems like, uh, in a good quote I saw before, I believe it was something on social media. Someone said, like, <clears throat> the more uh important the advice the more like dated back you should go in finding texts or like books but the more like modern problems you have just talk to more like go more modern right just talk to modern founders get a modern podcast like that makes more sense uh what were like what was what was an example of you going to someone and like getting help um with an accelerator talking to a first-time founder like what's a problem you had that they had as well yeah, so I think for me it was the when people think about hiring, you know, and uh, I think so. We have a Slack channel, and it's it's sufficient because if anybody ever has any questions, someone would ask, and we would see it, and be like, and then we would all just like jump in, like that. This is what I came up with. This is the best resource. And then one of the girls in that Slack was a, a an HR person back in her, I should say, her first career because now she's a founder, but that was super helpful so then I was able to jump on a meeting with her and then just talk about what I'm thinking and then she would just kind of guide me through this is how you should think of HR this is what this is what it does and then she would provide some tools that okay this can help you with payroll this can help you with like the financial side of things and then in terms of getting that right person um, that accelerator provided a coach and the coach um works a lot with your personality, which I thought was really, really different. Mm. Uh, yeah, they, they uh, work with the Anne Enneagram. Yeah, yeah. Personality test and tells you like, uh, because of your personality, like you want to find someone who has the same goals as you do. Or maybe that's for everybody. But she's just saying it in a way of like, you want to be careful not to just hire anyone to fit the role, but like to have the same goal plan. So I found mm. that that's actually yeah that makes a lot of sense i resonate with some of that and do, do you have people you've hired now you have a team so i've been i put it up on AngelList, and i've been looking through it and i keep thinking about those things that you know we talked about in that accelerator or that i spoke with the, the woman at, um who was in hr like just getting real feedback from real people who've done this for real is the best and fastest way like you said to like get that problem solved like it mm. and the funny thing is now i'm thinking about it it's not like that it's a large problem we think it's bigger than it really is it's like no but someone knows the answer to this so it's like you call up somebody and it's like oh, okay you know mm. i know someone who now can help me with this and in the future so yeah it's because especially in this uh arena within building your own thing and being a maker of you know, being an entrepreneur now, um, it's an unknown, it's an unknown territory. I mean, it's scary in and of itself, anything that's uncertain. So having some of that guidance, um, so many people I've interviewed on this podcast and people we've done stories on, they always talk about the importance of community and positive feedback. And it's just, 
it's incredible to hear that correlation to everyone's uh like main piece of advice besides like interpersonal stuff on their own uh and but that's great to hear so you're like constantly working through these problems um and you don't have do you you don't have a team at the moment right so at the moment it's myself and consultants so i have a team but it's not as like full-time as much as i want it to be Uh, And, and have you and have you seen a because when I saw Arm Hug, I was like, this can make sense. Healthcare could actually contribute to what's going on with COVID. Has there been like, was that an accelerator in and of itself, like this year? Yeah, it was. So mm. if we like track back to the story, we're at the hospital, right? And everything was going well. And, you know, the hospital was interested. I kind of put it away. Because like I put it in my closet and I was thinking, well, do I start a company with this or do I wait? And I did wait. So I took a, a like a, it was probably like nine months. It wasn't that long. And I started a project management role at a healthcare social media company called Sermo. So I was in New York as well. It was a market research firm. And while I was there, I started seeing like a lot of home healthcare stuff kind of coming about. And I was like, wait a second, like, what am I doing here? Like, it's almost like I started hearing, I think Steven Spielberg's big on this to hear, to follow your whispers. Mm, yeah, really, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Like they're like real, they're there, but you have to listen. And I was, and I, I got like, I was sitting at my desk and I feel like I heard someone telling me, what are you doing? and I was like that's it I was like I'm gonna have to quit (laughs) and so I I did um and it was heartbreaking because they were a good team and I liked working there but I just felt like I had that moment and that calling it's like I'm ready even though I'm scared and I'm terrified but Mm. yeah it's I mean it's a big leap it's it's no easy or it's no small thing and no easy thing it is. Yeah. And then I guess like three months ago, yeah, it started accelerating just because people are like thinking more about um, the uh, the nursing homes, I want to say, because a lot of people are not don't want to have their parents in nursing homes. They actually or like any retirement homes, they would rather have them at home, but they understand that they need the care at home now. So now there's going to be like this huge leap or I should say this emerging market of in-home healthcare, and we're going to have to create products and package them appropriately so that you can transport them and then make sure that there's a healthcare aid to be able to carry those supplies and then see the patient. It's, it's growing. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking in my head that there can definitely be a part two um of our conversation and recording because there there could be another year and a half that goes by and um the industry can change like people's what they need could double down and that they need at-home care like I'm, I'm truly i truly mean it like i can see how this niche product could play out but it doesn't matter what i think it matters what everyone else thinks so we'll have to see yeah um, good point yeah so um What's the best place people can like follow, support, yeah. so on and so forth? My website has, I've had a lot of subscribers lately. If people want to just keep in touch to see what, when we're going to do the 
we're going to try to do a big product launch. We're going to try to update our website. Like we're working on a few things. And then um, if they want to connect professionally or just anything like that, like for questions or just conversations about healthcare in general, LinkedIn is always good. Um, I think that that's yeah. the community we have. Yeah, I know sure. a lot of people are on Twitter if they're like VCs or investors. There's been a lot of like startup world stuff going on in Twitter. Yeah, there's been, I've had a couple of conversations of Twitter. people raising money through Twitter, meeting founders. It's Twitter's pretty awesome. <laughs> pretty great. Yeah. So uh, I always like to as well, um, this can be a two-parter, but I like to leave room at the end for the guests to just talk about whatever they want, like any learnings they've had recently. And I would also like to ask what a bigger dream of yours is, like something you really want to aspire to reach and like a person you want to become. Um, as I always find that's important because you're kind of making your way there, right? You're, you're, you'll set it reverse engineer and then make your way there. But I'll leave that for, for you now though. Yeah. Okay. I'll start with the second question first. Let's see. Um, who I aspire to be. So I'm thinking like, uh, since there are not very many like females in healthcare, I want to be like someone who is kind of the outspoken and really yeah. um, talking from experience about how important healthcare is. So I saw recently how Amazon, I think, closed down. They had a, a company that was focused on healthcare. And that's because it's just really hard to get all that regulatory stuff and it's time consuming and it's expensive. So I think that if Armhug was successful, which I, I wanted to be, that would be like the main goal. And then I would just be someone who is just trying to reach out to people and tell them how important it is that we, that we think about healthcare at home. I know that maybe right now they're saying like, well, they could just, stay at home and we'll do the telehealth visits, but it's like, yeah, but what, what if we actually need to have samples from them, right? So we wanna make sure that we can, we can actually partner with telehealth and say, now they, they can have the visit and the labs done at home. Mm. That's what I see. Yeah, yeah that makes, makes a ton of sense. Yeah, do you see that too? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. no, absolutely. I mean, I know they have like apps where you can like do doctor's appointments through them now. But yeah, yeah what if you need physical material? ZocDoc or something. I think you can do that too, mm. I'm not sure. There's a few. And I don't know. I have personally don't know someone who's using but the telehealth visits, but I know that some who probably people who are chronically ill or have family that can help them set up those visits are probably the ones that are doing it. So it's usually the caretaker that you need to like talk to. Mm, yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. it's not always the patient it's like you'll you probably get through them through the caretaker because the patient probably won't know about it or maybe they just don't know why the doctor would want to be with them virtually but covid i think you mentioned covid before just mm -hmm. made this problem just a little bit bigger and so that's that's going to be our solution which is going to use technology so. yeah yeah and then the other point you made about talking about something. Yeah, is, is there just like, is there anything top of mind, like yeah. something you wanna leave the people with or like a learning you've had this year that like, it's like a gnat, you know, outside, you can't get it away from you, you gotta keep swatting it away. <laughs> uh, hmm. Okay, yeah, I think talking about like partnerships, 
I think that the best way to get the product to market faster or the fastest would be to partner with somebody who has their feet on the ground and they know the market, how it's moving because they're, they're constantly putting products out there or they're talking to the people. So it's like having a spy on the ground. So if you're like starting something, I found that like really important. Like I sometimes my partner, this partner would call me and I'd be like, oh, I have to pick up now and find out what's going on. It's just, they want to just tell me like how they're doing. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then and we have conversations about like what's going on, what's changing. Mm-hmm. Like now they're starting a distribution platform so that people who basically can join their community can also view the products that they're, they're selling. So they want to start like education class classes and courses and then at the same time they want to sell products because they're like wait so now that you are certified phlebotomist for instance you can also purchase these products that we have for Mm. certified phlebotomists and so it's almost like now we're changing the experience of how people are going to buy and he wants to target more towards people who are who are actually going to buy the product instead of just like jumping into social media and then spamming people Wow, that's actually, I've heard that before, but that's like really well articulated because that makes a ton of sense. Like it truly is more targeted for you. Like, and that, that idea by them is, is ingenious. Yeah, I think it's going to take time because I think with the SEO, it's like you generally have to build that. Mm-hmm. And it's probably something that is also new to the people he's going to bring on this platform, right? Because healthcare is not so tech savvy, but they're willing to change. It's like, wait a second, you solved this problem for me. I'm done. Here you go. Here's my money. You know, like they're like, please. And that's usually it's sad a little bit because they're just really desperate to get the solution and to just, you know, be able to say that I can do this. It, mm. it, sometimes it gets really desperate. Um, I, I, I feel for them. Yeah. I love that though. That's a, that's a great point to end it. It's like a, a really, really good learning um, and takeaway, but I do appreciate everything you did say here and what you've been through thus far. And uh, I really hope people can follow and connect with you if they really want to, but uh, maybe there'll be a part two. You never know. Yeah. You never know. Thank you. This is fun. You got it.